Uh, I titled my sermon today, believe it or not, uh, New Beginnings, uh, and I wasn't even thinking about the graduates. So I, I didn't sit down and, and do a uh, sermon for the graduates. Uh, I just moved to the next part in Genesis of our study. It just so happens that it aligns very well to a new beginning, a new life, new, new stage in your life. And so uh, this is for the graduates, but it's also for every single one of us here today. It is nice to know that God gives us new beginnings and new opportunities and, and His mercies are new every single day. And so I'm going to go ahead and tell you the verses we're going to be reading because we're going to be in both the end of chapter 8 and chapter 9. And so in chapter 8, we'll look at 15 through 22. Uh, in 9, we will look at 1 through 11, and then 18 through 27. Um, and the title of this is New Beginnings, but we're going to look at God's promise, Noah's worship, God's covenant, and then the curse of Canaan. Uh, this is important because it lays the foundation for uh, almost the entire historical section of Scripture where the Israelites go into Canaan land and, uh, and God promises you're going to inherit, you're going to live in houses you didn't build, you're going to eat from vineyards and, uh, that you didn't plant. And so it goes all the way back to Genesis 9. The reason that that promise is there for the Israelites is because of a curse that takes place all the way back in Genesis 9. And so I think historically you need to have that context if you're going to understand the conquest of Canaan by the Israelites and begin to understand it a little more clearly as you see them go into the land and battle and what many of us look and say, man, that's what God asked them to do seems awfully harsh. And yet it goes all the way back to Genesis here and the curse that's placed on Canaan and his descendants and they will be the slaves of his brothers. And so I think it's important that we, we cover that because it really does set the context for all of the conquests of the land by the Israelites after they leave Egypt, wander in the wilderness 40 days. So I think that's important. So we're going to take a few moments and look at that. So we're going to pray. And then I want to read those three sections of Scripture, and then I simply want us to, uh, to discuss it and talk of it. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is most relevant, um, Lord, more relevant even than anything we see today. And so we build the foundation of our life upon your word, upon Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, depending on the Holy Spirit of God to lead, guide, correct, convict, to encourage us all that we might have fellowship and relationship with you, Father. And so as we read your word today, speak to our hearts and minds. Give us clarity. We come in. Many of us have distractions, Lord. The busyness of the past week, the, the difficulties of all just trying to live life as normal now. And so, Lord, as we come into your sanctuary, may you simply clear the distractions so we might hear from you today because what we need is not a sermon that some man prepares. What we need to hear is a word directly from you, God. And so through your Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts and our minds, and we pray that every word that's spoken would bring glory and honor to your name because you alone are worthy of our worship and you alone are worthy of our praise. And we ask it in the precious, holy, beautiful, powerful name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. Amen. So chapter 8, verses 15 through 22, the flood is... Uh, just taking place. Noah's on the boat as we begin, on the ark as we begin this. And so where we start reading is when Noah and his family are coming out of the ark. In verse 15, it says, Then God spoke to Noah 
My translation says, come out of the ark. A better translation would be, come forth. Come out of the ark, you and your wife, your sons and your sons' wives with you, bringing out every living thing, all flesh, that is with you, birds, livestock, creatures that crawl on the ground, and they will spread over the earth, and they'll be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah, along with his sons, his wife and his son's wives, came out, or came forth. All wildlife, all livestock, every bird, every creature that crawls on the ground, came out, came forth of the ark by their groups. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of men. Even though man's inclination is evil from his youth, and I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done, as long as the earth endures. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will not cease. Move along to Genesis chapter 9. Beginning in verse 1. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You ought to, those words should sound very familiar. As they are almost the exact same phrase that he used when he's talking to Adam and Eve. The fear and terror of you will be in every living creature on the earth, every bird of the sky, every creature that crawls on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. They are placed under your authority. Again, we see the dominion mandate where God says to man, I give you dominion over the earth. However, you must not, uh, or every living creature will be for uh, food for you. As I gave the green plants, I have given you everything. However, you must not eat meat with its lifeblood in it. I will require the life of every animal and every man for your life and your blood. I will require the life of each man's brother for man's life. Whoever shed man's blood, his blood will be shed by man, for God made man in his image. But you, be fruitful and multiply, spread out over the earth and multiply on it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with them, Understand that I am confirming my covenant with you. This is the second covenant. Throughout Scripture, we look at the major covenants where God has um, given a promise or entered into an agreement with man. The first is the... Uh, Adamic covenant where God enters covenant with Adam. Adam, have dominion over the earth. Be fruitful, multiply. And now we see some of those same mandates given to Noah with a few additions to it. How, how did God govern his relationship with men in the Old Testament? Through the covenants that he established. In fact, the Noahic covenant still exists today. Everything that God told Noah is expected of us. Understand I'm confirming my covenant with you and your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, birds, livestock, and all wild, wildlife on the earth that are with you, all the animals of the earth that came out of the ark. I confirm my covenant with you that never again will all flesh be wiped out by the waters of a deluge. There will never again be a deluge or a flood to destroy the earth. Chapter 9, verse 18 looking at Noah's descendants and specifically to Canaan's curse. You will remember this um, event as we read it. Verse 18, Noah's sons who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. 
These three were Noah's sons, and from the whole earth was populated. Noah, a man of the soul, was the first to plant a vineyard. He drank some of the wine, became drunk, and uncovered himself in his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a cloak and placed it over both their shoulders. Walking backwards, they covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father naked. And when Noah woke from his drinking and learned what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Canaan will be cursed. He will be the lowest of slaves to his brother. He also said, praise the Lord, the God of Shem. Canaan will be his slave. God will extend Japheth. He will dwell in the tents of Shem. Canaan will be his slave. Let's pray one more time and ask God to give us understanding. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And now as we take a look at your word, may you help us to apply it to our life. Give us both the historical context so we can understand Scripture better. But Lord, what we need uh, even greater than that is how do we apply it to our lives today? How do we practically live out what your word is teaching us here in Genesis? What, what is this new beginning really about? And how does it apply to us today? We ask you to do those things in the precious and holy name of Christ. Amen. So God, the first thing we want to show you, or I think that is important for us to see, is that God is faithful both in His justice and in His mercy. Well, listen, I shared last week that when you look at the flood, there was not one single raindrop more than needed to fall for the judgment of the world. God does not delight in pouring out judgment over the world. God is just. And because of the very character and nature of who God is, He must judge the sinfulness of mankind, the rebellion of mankind. This is who God is. He's not only just, He's righteous and He's merciful. And so we look at the flood and we see two things that jump off the page immediately. God is just in His judgment as He destroys men for their sinfulness and wickedness, yet God's merciful in that He spares mankind through Noah. I want you to know that Noah did not earn his way to being chosen by God so the world might be spared through him. It's that God looked upon him and said, this is one I can start again with. This is one who is righteous and not perfect, not the Savior of the world, not Jesus Christ, just a man like you and me, but yet did his very best to walk for God as his uh, great-grandfather did Enoch. We look at God and we see He's faithful. He's faithful. Scripture tells us that if we are faithful to repent, to confess our sins one to another, that God is faithful in forgiving us of that sin. What what has to be punished, what, what has to be dealt with is unrepentance. It's when we're walking for God and yet we are are living outside the will of God and we're not even sorry about it. Maybe some point in your life you remember doing that. Kind of you're, you rebelled a little bit against what God said. I can remember when God first kind of placed in my heart this, this notion, this thought, this calling of being a pastor. I didn't go to church for a whole year. I was in college and God kind of placed in my heart, I want you to be a, be a pastor. And I did not want to be a pastor so bad, I didn't even go to church for a year. I just said, well, I'm going to stay away from the place. He can't expect me to be a preacher if I don't go to church. And then he got the last laugh. He's faithful. Faithful to us. Merciful to us. 
The mercy of God is so real. It's something that as believers that we experience and those who are graduating, starting a new uh, stage in their life, know this, God is faithful, He is just, but He's merciful. And so as you walk through this life, put your faith and your trust in God, in God's Word, and in Jesus Christ. If you do, God will be faithful to walk through this life with you. He's faithful to give His Holy Spirit within you. And you'll never walk in this life alone. The man will let you down. People, will they're fickle. They're your best friend one moment, don't want to talk to you the next. All of us, we're fickle people. Listen, God is not fickle. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. And even when we have, have done so many things that God would have every right to look at us and say, I'm done with him, God's promised I won't do that. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And so as you finish one stage in your life and you move into the next, I can remember how excited I was when I graduated high school. Everybody remember that? I was excited. I was excited to go to school. I was excited I was going to be playing baseball in college. Man, it's like having your dream, getting to live it. And then came the day when I actually had to go and move to college, and I wasn't quite as excited anymore. Uh, my parents drove me down, stayed the night down at Charleston with me, and then the next day got in their car and left me there. It was a scary time in my life. All right? My roommates hadn't even moved in yet, so I was in my room, my, my suite, all by myself. And, you know, I'm just going to tell you the truth. When my parents left, man, I, you know, I cried like a little baby. I didn't know what I was going to do anymore. I didn't have anybody around me to protect me or to, to stand up for me or to uh, support me no matter what. Uh, but the truth is, I had God. God's there. God, God, the one who is just and is merciful, never leaves us, never forsakes us. Place your trust in Him. God's faithful. Here's what He does. Uh, he, he tells Noah, listen, be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth. I, I, I want to spare the world through you. I don't want to just separate myself from my creation. I want to be involved intimately and personally with each and every one of my creations. Noah, you've got to replenish the earth. Your sons, you've got to replenish the earth. Why? Because I created mankind to have relationship with them. You can't really read Scripture and believe there's this God who started everything, but now he's just forgotten about it all. You can't be a deist. You can't be someone who believes, yeah, there probably was a God. He started everything, but he really don't care about it. Are you kidding me? Look what all he's done to demonstrate how much he does care about all of his creation. Be fruitful and multiply. This is part of God's first promise or command to Noah. It's not his covenant yet, but it's the same words he gives to Adam and Eve, right? Be fruitful and multiply. Sonia and I have taken this verse to heart. We are fruitful and have multiplied. And, and we've done our part. God's blessed us. I want you to notice that these, these uh, duties that uh, Noah is told by God to accept and take part of, they reflect, I just, we are 1,700 years away from Adam according to Scripture. 
At this point, last week, I kind of traced up for you the years, Enoch, or two weeks ago, how long it was. I'm not talking about the year 1700. I mean, from Adam, we are 1700 years now away from Adam. When, when Noah comes off the ark. 1,700 years. So 1,700 years after God initially said, Adam, be fruitful and multiply. He says to Noah and his family, be fruitful and multiply. I want to tell you, children are a blessing from God till about 12. And then they become wonderful blessings of God at about 21. But you have to deal with those middle years. Amen? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Sarah and David are wonderful kids, and they've given us no trouble. Um, and uh, they are always consistently a blessing to us. I can't imagine my life without my children. But they have made my life so much richer. Mine and Sonia, me and Sonia get to grow old together, God willing. I want to be sitting on the porch rocking with her when I'm 95. Are you with me? But right now, we have this great privilege that God's given us our children to raise. Children are a gift from God. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Then God says this. Basically, he says to Noah, you are the head of the human family now. As Adam was, you are. Then this, this passage, it says this, and fear and terror were placed in the animals for Adam, I mean for, for Noah and his family. Even today, with me, so what God did was he instilled fear within the creation of birds and livestock and those things that creep on the ground and fill the sea. He placed fear within them for us. Why? Because he given us dominion. Uh, this is a concept that was very hard for me to wrap my mind around for a long time. That God called Adam to co-reign on the earth with him. To have dominion over the earth. He, he didn't make Adam a God. He did not make him part God. But he incorporated Adam into the work of God by saying, You have dominion over this earth, over the land, over the livestock. Adam sins and now it doesn't work the way it should. Right? You can't tell a snake, you can't bite me because I have dominion over you. Why? Because we live in a fallen, cursed world and the ground's been cursed. And a snake fears you. You believe that? I know how scared I am of snakes. And yet the Bible tells us that God put fear in creation for mankind. Why? So mankind could rule and have dominion. The fear of you and the terror of you. So animals are not in harmony with man. Isn't it something one day we think about what God's promised uh, when we just take the, the, the two examples when he says the lion and the lamb will lay down together. We imagine like this is the way God originally intended creation to be. Adam, name the animals. You have dominion over them. Be fruitful and multiply. Eat of any tree you want to eat of except for these two. Sin comes in. The world is cursed and nothing is as it should be. We have no idea what the earth was meant to be like. But I know this, we're going to get to experience it when God makes all things new. Then God does something 
with Noah that he doesn't do with Adam. He says this, all food is for you. Not, not just the plants any longer. He had told Adam in the Edemic covenant, it was you can eat of all the trees except for these two. Now he tells Noah, you can not only eat of all the trees like I said to Adam, when he says, I've given the green plants, but you can eat of any of the creatures. Now, just like he told Adam, there's a um, clause, so to speak. What did he say to Adam? You can eat of any tree you want, but then there was this clause, right, that began with, but, and what was that clause? You can't eat of these two. He, he says to Noah, you can eat of anything, but... You can't eat of animals with their lifeblood within them. I don't know. I, I just did. I was just looking. And, and so you, you understand that uh, in this society, uh, they believe life was contained in the blood. And I would say in part, they're absolutely true. It's kind of hard to live without any. And what I've read and what I've been told is that the human body has somewhere around five or so liters of blood that circulate in one minute. So your body circulates about five liters of blood a minute. If you are a nurse or a doctor, please don't correct me right now. Send me an email. I'll try to get back to you. Within that blood that is circulating through our bodies, it contains red blood cells, and those red blood cells contain hemoglobin, and that's a protein that helps to absorb oxygen from the blood, from the lungs, as the blood circulates and it releases it that oxygen that it gets from the lungs this protein and hemoglobin our red blood cells at the right time just when your body needs it just where your body needs it the blood carries oxygen through a protein hemoglobin in our blood isn't that something they didn't know about all this stuff they didn't have like uh people who were doing you know viral scientists who were looking at all these things. They just knew God said life is in the blood and don't eat any animal without the lifeblood being gone. We know also that blood contains platelets, right? Platelets are very important unless you want to bleed to death every time a mosquito bites you, right? Platelets help the blood to clot. Why? So that we might have the blood needed to live. Later, we see the same connection between life and blood in the Mosaic Law when he gives the law to Moses. One of the things I love is Moses is not writing a scientific journal in the book of Genesis. But if you read the book of Genesis, every scientific journal will back up everything it claims. Don't eat the animal with its lifeblood in it. They didn't know about all these technological things that we found out later on about the blood. But here's what God knew. My son will have to have his blood spilled and pour out for the forgiveness of sin of mankind. And that's a precious thing. And so when you sacrifice an animal, when you eat an animal, you will drain it of its lifeblood. Why? Because my son will be drained of his for the salvation of all mankind. Every sacrifice we see in the Old Testament points us to the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ. 
every time there's a sacrifice made like Noah makes and God says, this is pleasing, I accept this, this is a sweet aroma, it's because God is looking forward to the, the one sacrifice in the Lord Jesus Christ that will bring redemption for all those who will believe and trust in Him. So he gives these promises to Noah and then Noah comes off the ark. What's the first thing Noah does? You notice, he doesn't run to see like uh, what kind of fruit he can find hanging from a tree. He builds an altar and he worships God and offers sacrifice to him. Why? Because God has been faithful. God has spared him. God has been merciful to him. If you're here today, I, I would submit to you, God has been merciful to you. The only reason any of us are here today is because of the mercy of God, the grace of God. It's not because we deserve it. It's not because we've earned it. It's because God is a merciful God who loves His creation and desires not only to sustain it, but to walk with them in it. The second thing we see is this, that God is a covenant God. From Adam to Noah to Moses to David to Jesus Christ. His very son. God is a God who lives in covenant with his people. And when God makes a covenant, when God declares a covenant, God keeps it. And so in the beginning of chapter 9, he makes a covenant with Noah and his sons. Noah, this is how you're going to have to live now. If you're going to live in obedience to me. Notice again, Noah didn't ask God. God, will you make a covenant with me? It's God's idea. God is the one who goes before Noah and says, all right, Noah, I'm going to give you a way to live in relationship with me. Here's what I would have you do. Here's what I would have mankind to do, to live in relationship with me as creator. I would have my creation. It is a covenant for Noah and his descendants and it extends to all those that they have been called to multiply and fill the earth. Every living creature. God promised I'll never again kill everything by universal flood. He gave a sign of his covenant, right? This rainbow in the cloud. You know, it's funny because again... Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, just want to make sure you understand that. So, or not, you're sitting up there thinking, why does he keep saying Moses? I thought he's talking about Noah and his family. Moses wrote it. All right, so Moses writing the book. He, he's not writing a scientific journal. He, he's not writing about um, clouds and rainbows. And so we know now, right, that because light bends... Uh, as it travels through water, just like when you stick your arm in a bathtub and it looks like your arm got broken and is now dislocated or disjointed because uh, the water, the light refracts through that. This is the first time it rained, right? That, so Scripture says the, the water came from the ground in order to water all of creation. But now the water that had been separated above and the water that had been kept below all came pouring down on earth in the, in the flood. And so, specifically looking at science, there would be a rainbow present when the flood began to dry. There would be light refracting through water. And this would be the first time in Scripture that there would be a rainbow. 
It's just, it's just maybe you don't need to hear that, but I just love the fact Moses not trying to write anything dealing with science. Everything he writes is confirmed and backed up. This is the way it would look. This is what would happen. Every time you see this, it'll be a sign. How many of you, every time you see a rainbow, you think of this? If you were raised in church and you went to VBS, every time you see a rainbow, there's a part of you that says, boy, God put a rainbow. Remember when it flooded the earth? Yeah, I remember this from, from Sunday school when I was just a kid, that God put that up there. You remember when you see it. More importantly, God remembers every time there's a rainbow. This is the last thing I want to share with you. I think it's, it's awfully important as we think about this curse of Canaan. I want you to understand, so here Ham is, the son of Noah, and Noah is in a very compromising position and place. And basically what Ham does is he uses his father's nakedness, drunkenness, to mock him with his brothers. But his brothers have no part in it. His brothers aren't... This isn't something to mess around with. This isn't right. This is, this is not honoring your father or mother. This, we know this is wrong. So they take something. They walk in backwards so they don't even look on their father and his nakedness, and they cover him up. They give him dignity, right? He goes from a very undignified state to a, at least a place of dignity. And so the curse, though, is not placed on him. I, I tell you, we, you know... One of the worst things that we've ever had happen from the church, and this is kind of like politics. You with me? So it's like the church tried to play politics with American slavery. And this is what the, the church said. Even Southern Baptists did this. This is why we split from Baptists to Southern and Northern at one time, Baptists is because the church succumbed to the political pressure of the people. And they say, you know what? All the way back in Genesis, Ham made fun of his daddy. And so he was cursed, and all of his descendants were cursed, and their curse said they would be slaves to the other ones. I just want to make sure you understand how ridiculous that sounds. How unbiblical it is. And yet it's what our churches did. So I'd like to say just first and foremost that even the slavery in the Bible is nothing like the colonial slave trade that took place in America, other parts of the Caribbean, and around the world. Completely different. But people use Scripture to try to justify one of the most heinous acts our world's ever been dealt with. Here, here's what they say. All of Ham's descendants were called to be slaves. And so what we're doing is backed up biblically. No, it's not. If you look at Scripture, it doesn't even say all of Ham's descendants will be slaves. It's only one of his descendants, Cain. Why is this important? Why is it important that Canaan is cursed? Because when the children of Israel get ready to leave Egypt, they're going to Canaan land. They're going to the land that the descendants of Canaan possess. And the children of Israel have been promised this land by God. 
And so the descendants of Canaan are literally going to become slaves and enemies to the nation of Israel. When you see those battles that Joshua leads the the Hebrew people, the, the Israelites into, he is literally fighting against the descendants of Canaan. And those descendants have been cursed. It's not some worldwide agenda where God is saying, for the rest of eternity, these people are going to be slaves to everybody. It's no, these people are going to be slaves to their brother's descendants because of the actions of a father. And so I would say this, listen. Our sin impacts more than us. When we live in open rebellion to God, when we think things are funny and we just go about it, even though it is against the will of God, we not only pay for it, but generations may end up paying for it. Because of the sins of Ham, Canaan's descendants are cursed. Because of the sin of Ham, the Israelites are given the land. The Canaanites are an interesting group of people. In fact, uh, most scholars believe that the Canaanites are actually the Phoenicians. And if you look at the land in which they, they lived in, it's the land of the Phoenicians. It means the Canaanites were actually the first to give us an alphabet. This is who we're talking about here. So if you studied any, uh, you know, uh, I guess this is elementary school. Maybe, yeah, this is elementary school when you learn about the Sumerians and the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians are the Canaanites. Phoenician is a Greek title for them. They were a great people, and then they became slaves to Israel in constant and perpetual war until eventually... There are no Canaanites any longer that we hear of. And the Philistines become the enemy. It's a dangerous thing to use the word of God to try to back up the behavior of humans. You, you, you cannot get more of a blatant example of this than when churches use the curse of of Canaan, and they change it to the curse of Ham and all of Ham's descendants to back up slavery. Now, we have, we have this great view of hindsight, right? It's pretty easy in hindsight to look and see. But we better be careful as churches because people will use the Word of God to try to back up their own actions. And I would just submit to you, it's a dangerous thing to use God's word in a political manner. And so here's the applications I would suggest you take with you today. I think David will throw them up. There's only three. The first is this. That God gloriously allows new beginnings. When we look at the language of what God really says to know about coming out of the ark, it's always a forward it's really not come out. It's really Noah, go forward. Those that are on the ark, go forth. It's this notion of getting up and moving ahead. It's, it's what Paul does in Philippians 3 when he says, this is the one thing I do. I forget what lies behind and I press forward to what's ahead. Noah could have spent his whole life 
stuck in that ark. I don't mean literally stuck in the ark. I mean emotionally and spiritually stuck in the ark. What God's command was is move on from this. Come forward. Move forward. God's command to us is exactly the same. I share that. So in the flood, God delivers Noah and his family and then provides everything they need for a new beginning. What's Noah get? Well, he gets promises from God. He gets a new covenant from God. He has the command of God to go forth. In fact, if you look at that word go forth, we know that even the great commission to the church is about not staying where we are, not living in the past, but it's about going forth, going forward. And so whatever you come into the church house with today, no matter what it is that your life has been consumed with, whether you are a believer or you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the good news of God. He's about giving people new starts. He's about giving you a new beginning. He's about you moving forward and not being stuck where you are now or where you may have been. Go forward. I would challenge all of us today whether we've been living in a good season or a bad season, whether we've been in the valley or on the mountaintop with God, that when you leave this place today, go forward, go forth in the will, the provision, the protection of God. Graduates, go forth. Move forward. Hey, listen, I talk to people all the time. They're still living in high school, man. All right. Hey, you remember that when we played so-and-so, that, that touchdown pass I caught? Yeah, we all remember, right? We remember. Fifty years later, dude's still talking about a touchdown pass he caught. He ain't done nothing since the touchdown pass. It's time for him to, to go forth, to move forward. And I want to tell you, there are many Christians who live the same way based on what God has done and based on what they had done for God and how they did feel. Christianity is not a past tense thing. Christianity is a very future and forward moving relationship with God. And so here's the good thing. When God gives us a new beginning, we don't have to look back at the mistakes we've made and be stuck. God frees us from the mistakes of the past so we can go forth for Him. But we've got to be careful about living in past glories. Amen? We've got to be careful that we don't get stuck remembering the good old days. And trying to live there as a church. Trying to live there as families. God's called us to go forward. Which sometimes means you even have to forget the good you've done in the past. So you can be of some earthly good today. Go forward. In the flood we see this. In Noah's life. And then most importantly. We look to the cross. And at the cross. God delivered everything. God provided everything that we might go forward. David will throw that slide up in a, in a minute. That the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ allowed His blood to be shed, His body beaten so that you and me can have a new beginning. So that you and me can go forward. So whatever it is that's kept you on the sidelines. What, whatever it is that's caused fear and anxiety in your life about moving forward. Can I just encourage you today? God doesn't want you stuck in your mistakes. God does not want you stuck 
in your successes. What God's called us all to is to go forward. To go forth and to make disciples of all people. So today I encourage you, go forth. We're going to play a song. You can pray right where you're at. You can pray around an altar. When the song ends, we're dismissed. But I would just simply ask you this. Is there something in your life or something in your heart that's holding you back? Is there something that's going on in your heart and in your life that's stopping you from moving forward? Because God's desire is to walk with you forward. Let's leave here today and go forth. All for the glory of God. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you to speak to our hearts and minds now. We thank you for new beginnings. We thank you that when you look down on the wickedness of mankind and you had every right to destroy man, you showed mercy. And you took one man and his family and you gave them a new start, a new beginning. And Lord, you're still just as merciful today to take men and women like me and everyone here to take us with our mistakes and our, the baggage we have. But Lord, then you've, then you've encouraged us, you've commanded us to take that baggage and to give it to you so that we might go forward, that others might see you in us and that you might be given glory and honor. And there may be one, even one that would see and hear the good news of Jesus Christ and the promise of a new beginning and they would come to know you as Lord and Savior. So speak to our hearts and minds. Lead us and guide us. Help us as we go forth in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.